Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hello, everyone. It is Jacques Lejobert, as they call me in Paris. From Coldsaholic, and I'm back once again with another exciting edition of Matches of the Month for August, which, my word, what a hell of a month it was in the world of professional wrestling. I'm recording this in real time, honestly, like kind of an hour before All Out starts. So um, if, if suddenly there's a cut towards the end of this episode and then I come back sounding very tired, that's because I've just watched all of All Out and I've come back to finish this recording. Anyway, let's crack on with the show. This is Matches of the Month. CM Punk now looking for the Pepsi Plunge! Two of the greatest performers of their generation in the center of the ring. We're going till we got a winner in fucking Wembley! I mean, obviously, there was only going to be one place to start with Matches of the Month for August. And it is, of course, with All Elite Wrestling's All In, their mammoth Wembley show, which I was very fortunate enough, along with several of my colleagues, to be a part of down at Wembley Stadium. Hey, if I met you, thank you so much for coming to say hello. Um, It was just an amazing atmosphere, wasn't it? Like Everybody there, there was just a real positive energy in the air. Everybody was um, excited to be part of such a massive spectacle. And um, the show I thought was good. Uh, I'm going to talk about a few of the matches from it here. But um, regardless of how good the show had been, I think it would have been a worthwhile trip anyway, just because of how bloody amazing the atmosphere was. And that's partly down to AEW, but it's also partly down to the fans. And and like I think everybody I met, it was just a pleasure to talk to because everyone, everyone was so excited to be sharing this experience together. It was really a, a wonderful weekend. I guess I better talk about some matches from All In. Oh, God, where do I begin here? Because at the time, right, I'm recording, I'll, just a peek behind the curtain, I'm recording this uh, the night of All Out, one week later. Uh, it's been such a busy week. Uh, I assume this podcast is going to go out in like seven more days' time. So regarding the punk situation, as it stands now, as I record this, he's been fired. AEW announced that. Uh, Tony Khan did that announcement before Collision and, uh, and at the start of the show as well. And... Um, I don't know anything else at this moment as I'm recording this, but <laughs> this is past Jack talking probably like at least a few days before this episode actually goes out. Anything, what I'm saying is anything could have happened by this point with the same punk developments. So I don't even have a clue what is going on. So if I mentioned anything about that situation or about AW that suddenly makes no sense, then that's why. Um, because a lot can change at the moment in wrestling in just a, a few short days, as we've seen. I'll, you know what? Uh, it wasn't. I don't think it was my very favorite match of the show. But as I've mentioned him, I'll start by talking about the opener of All In's main show, uh, CM Punk defending the Real World Championship, which I assume he's now vacated <laughs> against uh, possibly his greatest foe, Samoa Joe. <clears throat> um, I was curious to see how they would do this. I thought it was a great choice of opener because it's like two big names. It's not going to, they're not going to do like a million flips and try and take away from anything else that's going to follow it immediately. They're just two seasoned vets. They, they won't be, they won't be phased by the size of the crowd or anything. Know each other inside out. And I think it was a great choice to open the show. The crowd were split in my section. It was predominantly Joe. I was chanting for punk. Um, oh dear. And both guys, I think, did a tremendous job. It was a really smartly worked match, wasn't it? 
Because if you look at their history, they've had like 60-minute time limit draws, five-star Ring of Honor epic bouts in the mid-2000s when they were both far younger men. And they were never going to be able to do that. So instead, what they did, instead of trying to replicate what they did a decade and a half ago, or even longer than that, instead what they did was work really smart. They do a really intelligent match where it was pantomime. You had Punk, you know, not falling for Joe's walkaway spot, but then falling for it in even grander fashion, diving over the top rope. You had Punk being slammed into the timekeeper's table on the outside, emerging with blood all over his face. Um, you had, you had uh, like, really smart counters and stuff to show that they knew each other. You had Joe hulking up. You had um, Punk doing the five moves of Doom like Cena, then the leg drop like Hogan. Just two old friends in there. And they seemed really relaxed as well, just chilling out, having a bit of a laugh, and putting on an excellent wrestling match. I was baffled by the star ratings, by the way, over the weekend. I know that Dave Meltzer was also there in person. I think the fact that I was there in person might change the way I viewed some of the matches from how most people viewed it on TV. And that, like, you might be listening to me talking about some matches and being like, hang on, it wasn't that good. Or hang on, it was way better than Jack's saying. Because live, obviously, it's quite a different viewing experience. I thought, therefore, that I would agree with Meltzer's star ratings more than I usually do because he was also there in person. Uh, but I really didn't. I think he severely underrated this this Punk Joe match, which I don't think like shot for the moon or anything. It wasn't like the most ambitious match I've ever seen, but it was so tightly constructed and so smartly done uh, and and expertly performed. And especially given the fact that this came moments after all this backstage drama, which, I mean, <laughs> probably also Punk's fault, or at least he has a hefty share of the blame. But the fact that he then went out there and was calm as you like, just putting on this kind of match... Whatever you think about him, I think it's really hard to deny that he's a supremely talented wrestler. Obviously, Smoke Joe is as well, and he looked on top form too. It was a great start to the show. That is certainly one of my matches of the month. Um, that was followed by the six-man tag, which I believe Meltzer rated higher than it, which I disagreed with. Not that I didn't like the six-man tag, but it just I don't think it was as well put together a match. Uh, the Bucks FTR, I also don't think was as good. And I, I believe that was Meltzer's highest rated match of the show, maybe. It was certainly up there. And I, again, I preferred Punk and Joe. Live, that Bucks FTR match was really a tale of uh, like a, t a match of two halves, <laughs> to use an old, like a football cliche, because it, I think the crowd were a bit burnt out from the Punk Joe match and from the six-man tag, which had a lot of stuff going on. Uh, and, and then the crowd kind of took a little while to get into the Bucks FTR match. I think it was poorly placed on the card. I think it, it would have done both teams justice more to have it later on in the night. But it was, I mean, it was still a great match. Once it got, once we got into the second half of the match, I think that's when it really started to, to escalate. And I love the fact, and this not not to sound bitter or anything, but I love the fact that the Bucks lost. Because going in, I was really cynical about it, I'll be honest. I was like, oh, there's no way the Bucks are losing. You know, they're, they're not going to lose on AEW's biggest show ever. And the story of the match is who's the greatest tag team of all time. And the Bucks are not going to be able to resist putting themselves over here in this match against FTR. And then I thought, well, but FTR deserve to win because of all the, the form they've been on for the past however many years. They've been, the, in my opinion, the best tag team in the world, clearly. And I thought, that's only going to fuel the Bucks more to take this win and be like, look, we beat the top guys, look at us. And I was totally proven wrong. Um, the Bucks not only lost clean, having the Melter driver reversed into the Shadow Machine, being outsmarted by FTR... But then they were the petulant ones after the match as well, storming off. Yes, that's been kind of balanced out slightly on TV since, on Dynamite this week, as I record this. But, um, and I don't know, remember, I don't know what's happened on All Out tonight because they're in that eight-man tag together. But just in terms of the Wembley match, fair play to the Bucks. I was not expecting them to do the job for, um, for uh, Dax and Cash. It wasn't as fun to watch, in my opinion, as Punk versus Joe, which shocked me. Because going in, I, I think... If I had to bet on which match would have been my favorite of the whole night, I think I'd have put my money on um, on the Bucks FTR. But yeah, I prefer Punk and Joe at, the, at this stage of the show. Skipping ahead a little bit. Like there was great, obviously great moments throughout the show. Like even though I disagree with it on a booking level, um, it was cool to see Soraya get the win uh, in the women's title match. Um, it was cool to see what else happened. <laughs> I'm trying to think back now. It's all a bit of a blur. It was cool to see her entrance as well. And Tony Storm's entrance, of course, too. It was... Um, Ah, oh, the stadium stampede match I didn't really jive with. And I think that is purely because I was there live and on the opposite side of the stadium to where most stuff was going on. And a lot of people having watched it back go, 
oh yeah, I see why it was so good now that I've watched it back on TV, having been there in the stadium. But I haven't quite, it hasn't elevated itself too much in my opinion. I, I just don't think it's the match for me, unfortunately. I mean, all the guys put in so much effort and fair play to them for that. But I just don't think as a match, I enjoyed it as much as I maybe wanted to, which is unfortunate. Coffin match was cool. A, a classic ladder career sting and match where him and Derby just do crazy stuff and makes me wince for them, but they do it well. The acclaimed match was in a great spot as well on the show, the penultimate match of the night. The two best matches, in my opinion, of the night, I'll start with Osprey and Jericho. And I'm very, uh, you know, I'm very biased. It's been well documented on, on the Cultaholic YouTube channel before when I used to do Wrestlers of the Week. It's been well documented what a fan I am of Will Ospreay. That goes right back to like when I used to watch him regularly when I was in WCPW. We'd, we'd travel around the country and often on our shows we'd have, we'd have booked Will Ospreay who would come in and just blow everyone away every night, man. Like regardless of who he was wrestling, where he was on the card, singles matches, tag team matches. Like he was tag team champion at one point. We we just had Will Ospreay as a as tag team champion, weirdly. And and he would just put on amazing matches. I remember an insane match he had with Drew McIntyre. I remember an insane match he had or Drew Galloway as he was then known. Um an insane match with Speedball Mike Bailey, an insane match with Martin Kirby, where Kirby beat him and it was a great shocking moment. He had countless great matches in WCPW. And and like Often when you're on the road with the same regulars on the roster and you watch the same matches or the same people wrestle like for several nights a week, you kind of get a sense of when their big moments are coming and what they're going to do in the match. And you kind of learn their movesets a little bit more just from watching them so much unconsciously. It just sort of happens. You like, you're like, you'll find yourself being like, oh, there's a super kick coming or there's a neck breaker coming here and you'll, and you'll, and it'll happen. And you'll be like, oh, wow, I knew that was going to happen before it happened because you just get a sense of their personal rhythm in a match. But even, and Osprey's probably the wrestler that I've developed that sense of, like, because I've just watched so many of his matches now. Um, like, there was a moment in this Jericho match where I, I said to Pierce, who was sat next to me, I was like, he's not going to make Jericho do a Spanish fly, is he? And then they both ran at each other and did a Spanish fly. And, and there was a good, it wasn't like I was clued in. To, I just somehow looked into saying it just before it happened. And Pierce was like, what? And I was like, I don't know. But it reminded me, how often I used to watch Will Ospreay matches. Not that I don't these days, I still do, but it reminded me how often I'd watch them and be fortunate enough to watch him with my own eyes. So it's well documented what a fan I am of his. Um, I think he's obscenely talented and it's been amazing to watch him develop as well because he's obviously dialed back the high octane, full throttle, high risk aspect. He's become more of a, an all-rounder and he's changed his body shape. He's become a lot more muscular, a lot bigger and... and Occasionally does still bust out the high flying stuff, obviously, but it's less of a crutch now. He's, he re he can he can wrestle any type of match, and I, I obviously love this one as well. I, I don't know I don't know what you were, were going to expect me to be like, but I hated this Jericho match. No, not at all. I thought it was fantastic. I thought Jericho did himself proud as well, really keeping up with Osprey, and it was the best Jericho match I I think I've seen since is one with Eddie Kingston, probably. Very different type of match in this one. Jericho's like feeding and bumping for Osprey, and you can tell they really respect each other because Jericho really pushed himself to be able to hang in there and have the type of match that Osprey wanted to have. And you could tell that Osprey respected Jericho because of the way he was selling for him and bumping for him, like that German suplex on the apron and stuff. Just a great match. I've really had to think about how much I like this match and how much of that is kind of affected by my own bias because, I mean, even the night before, we've managed to secure like an interview with Osprey and I I'd sort of had, I was, it was one of the coolest interviews I've ever done because I was, I was talking to him the night before this huge Wembley match where I'm like, this is a life changing match for you. And he was like, yeah, I know it totally is. And it's like the interviews on the channel now, if you want to go and watch it, it's like minutes after his rev pro main event with Shingo. So he's still in his gear and you can see the ring being taken down behind us. So I've had to analyze all that and think about it and be aware of the fact that, I could be carrying a severe bias into this match and how I evaluate it. But what's an opinion if it's not backed up by a healthy personal bias, eh? Um, I loved this match. I thought it was brilliant. Um, and I'm just really pleased for him because he was so kind to us to get us that interview the night before. And he fully deserves that moment in London with that huge crowd. And he, and he got the win as well, which was, oh, 100% the right call. There's a moment towards the end of the match where Jericho hits the Judas effect. And I was like, no, they can't beat Osprey, not tonight in Wembley Stadium. And they didn't. 
and he obviously got the win. Um, yeah, great stuff. Better than I thought it was going to be as well, because I was quite cynical. Again, I was like, oh, can Jericho do it? Yes, Jericho can do it still. Main event, maybe my favorite match of the night. If I really, uh, some, you know what, in like the week or so since All In, it's been like alternating one day. I'll be like, oh, that Osprey match was my favorite one. Then I'll be like, no, the main event was was something special though. Um, at the moment, I think the main event still has it for me, but I'll probably change my mind tomorrow. Uh, MJF Cole. I know it was melodramatic and I know it was silly and I've seen a little bit of a little bit of uh, polarizing, not polarizing because I think most people loved it as well, but I've seen some people not get on board with it as much as others because it did rely a lot on melodrama and and kind of making it clear, like grinding the action to a halt and being like, there is storytelling going on in this moment. But I think given the sheer strength of the story heading into it and the and the intensity of the reaction that it's managed to get from fans... I think that they're allowed to do that. I think they've managed to um, earn the right to tell such a story and to have such a sports entertaining main event. One which was, by the way, backed up by very, very solid wrestling. Like, the wrestling itself was fantastic. They're both... Cole and MJF are both brilliant wrestlers, obviously. But I think that, you know, they, they could have gone out there and had, like, a work rate match. And instead, they had, like, a, a melodrama kind of thing going on. And I think they earned that right. And I think it was the right call. Because listen to the crowd during that match. We were hanging on every single thing that either guy did. All the potential twists and turns. Cole kind of kind of cheating more than MJF at points. Uh, MJF doing it back, then both kind of descending into more heelish behavior as it as it drew on and on. And and I I think most people I talked to before this event were like kind of we were all in agreement. Like oh, Adam Cole's going to turn on MJF. And he's going to side with Roddy and possibly the kingdom. Excuse me. And that's going to be like a new stable. Um, and instead, neither of them turned. And as the match is going on, you're expecting one of them to. And yes, they both did heelish things to, to each other. But neither of them really, you know, neither of them turned on the other one. In fact, uh, of course, they hugged it out at the end. Of course they did. Um, and it was... Because I'm, I'm often quite critical of Tony Khan's booking. It was one of his best ever, one of his best ever booking decisions, I think, this. Because it was, I don't know how they managed to do it, but they managed to elongate the story, keep Cole and MJF together, now as tag team champions, without making anybody in Wembley Stadium feel shortchanged. Because I would have gone in thinking, oh, if, if they don't propel this storyline forwards with a turn, I'm going to feel ripped off here. And I was thinking about WrestleMania 27, when the main event of that was almost an, ex an excuse to set up the main event of the following year's WrestleMania. I thought the main event of All In was just going to set up a rematch at All Out where the real drama happened. But instead, they managed to keep the story alive, not blow it off, but give us all a satisfying ending to that night and that show as well. Yeah, I think it's one of Tony's best ever booking decisions, and I think it was a wonderful match as well. So there we go. Um, so my three favorite matches of of All In were three singles matches, as I mentioned, Punk versus Joe, Osprey versus Jericho, and the main event as well, MJF versus Adam Cole. I would have liked there to be more singles matches on the card, as many people have pointed out, and I would have liked that there would be more women's wrestling on the show, as many people have pointed out too. But as I say, looking back on that weekend, it's just a bonus that the show was good. I almost don't care because the real joy of that weekend was was the experience and the shared collective enthusiasm that everybody had for a massive wrestling event in the UK once again. And that was a, a genuinely beautiful thing to be part of. And I can't thank everybody enough who came and said hello or told us that, you know, they watched the channel and stuff. Like, it was just... I'm still buzzing about it. What a magical weekend it was. And if you went as well, I hope you had a great time. Hey, here's some news for you guys. The day before I wrestle Chris Jericho, I'm doing an indie. Jr. reaching over. He's got him trapped. He's got him in a 
second sleeper, Gio. RKJ just rolling the only way he knows how. But with every movement, he sinks himself deeper underwater. Zack Sabre Jr. is absolutely relentless. Hypersonic missile! He hit him! He hit him! But Ishii's still standing. Jacobs can't believe it! Oh! Rolling elbow! Oh my god! Ishii's not human! Gio, Ishii is not human! How did he kick out? The ground is shaking again at the copper box! Right, yes, now I want to talk a little bit about the show that took place the night before All In, which was Rev Pro's, I think it was their 11th anniversary show. Uh, at the Copper Box Arena, which I'd never been to before, which was a wonderful arena in uh, East London, near West Ham Stadium, West Ham, near the Olympic Stadium. RevPro are like the biggest promotion, surely now, in England. To put on a card like this was, I mean, it helps, obviously, that they've got ties with New Japan and with sometimes with AEW, um, but they make the most of it especially if they put on events like this on a regular basis, which I get that it's hard to put on shows of this scale financially all the time, but they knocked out the park. Yeah, there, there were some really, really good matches on this Rev Pro show. Big shout out to, again, Will Ospreay for getting us that interview immediately after the show. And I'll just focus on three matches from the show, uh, which were like the highlights in my opinion. So the first thing to talk about is not the main event, which was another Will Ospreay match against his old foe from New Japan, Shingo Takagi. When I interviewed him, I asked him, is Shingo your biggest rival in New Japan ever? And he said, it's him or Okada. Um, he said there's loads, but just he said that Shingo and Okada are like just above everybody else in terms of the ferocity of their feuds. Um, that was the main event, but that wasn't the match everyone was talking about after that show. And everybody I talked to for the remainder of the weekend and said, oh, did you go to the Rev Pro show? Everybody went, everybody was talking about one match, and rightly so, because it was match of the night, in my opinion. And that was Tomohiro Ishii, who's no spring chicken, against a British wrestler by the name of Luke Jacobs. The matchup's so good, because they're, they're both strike-heavy, resilient, fighting spirit, badass men, and they beat the crap out of each other. And it was like a, you know how like there's been these, there's been these like Walter old Gunter matches or Ilya Dragunov matches in WWE over recent the past like few years. I think at the moment, in fact, my current match of the year so far is is Gunder, Sheamus, and Drew at WrestleMania Night Two. Um, we've had Gunder's matches with Ilya. We've had Gunder's matches with Sheamus. Uh, this was another one of those type of matches with extra like New Japan strong style flair as well because Ishii's involved. And it was, oh, it was unreal. It was such a joy to watch. I'm going to have to watch it back because I, I don't know whether we all just got wrapped up in it live and that's why it's so elevated in my mind. But like, that's part of it. Getting the crowd into it's part of it as well. And 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 Ishii's a master of of constructing a match. Uh, uh, and Luke Jacobs more than played his part as well. He's incredibly impressive. Uh, he gets booked at North sometimes, like the my local promotion up here in Newcastle. Um... And I, I hope he, I, I'm going to have to check upcoming cards to see if he's on it because I was so impressed. I think I, he's been on matches of the month in a previous episode, possibly, against Osprey, or that match may have happened last year. He's had a, he's had a match that I've noticed him in in RevPro before where I was like, oh my God, this guy. But but this one against Ishii, like this could be his breakout match because everybody's talking about it. It's another example, though, unfortunately, of me not fully agreeing with Dave Meltzer, who gave the main event match, Osprey versus Shingo, five stars, and then gave this one, I think, four and three quarter, which is obviously a massive Meltzer rating and all that. But if you went to that show and you were, you were told one of these matches is a five-star match, which one is it? I think most people would give it to that Ishii Jacobs match because it was, it was so good. Such a good matchup. Down the stretch, it just ascended to a new plane. Like, you had Ishii kicking out at one. I think Jacobs might have done it back to him. And everybody's just on their feet. They're laying in the strikes so hard. You know the kind of match that it is by me describing it. Seek it out, please, if you haven't seen it. And um, I hope that this is the start of something amazing for Luke Jacobs because he deserves it. He's very talented. And I hope he's buzzing with how things have been uh, since that, like, with the response that match has got. 
Um, and it deserves more of a response than even that because it, it was that good. Um, I've mentioned it now, the main event, Osprey versus Shingo. Was very, don't get me wrong, it was a very good match. It's Osprey versus Shingo. It can't, it almost can't not be good. But my, my, my overriding emotion watching it was, please don't hurt yourself, Osprey, the night before your biggest match ever in your life against Jericho. So I get like, I get why they still wanted to go out there and put on a great show for everybody in the copper box that night. But part of me was like, stop what you're doing. Don't do anything high risk at all. Obviously, I take some risks to put on a great match. And they did. They put on a great match. Uh, Osprey got the win. I think compared to some other Shingo Osprey matches I've watched, it maybe wasn't quite as epic. But again, this is the night before this match with Jericho, so I fully understand why. And it was still, despite not being an epic Osprey Shingo match, it's still a great deal more epic than a lot of other people's matches could ever be because that's how talented they are and that's what uh, amazing chemistry they have as well. But it almost got overshadowed by by the aftermath of the match because that was so good as well, which is um, Osprey wins uh, and then gets on the mic and... Um, what felt like a really real promo. First of all, Zack Sabre Jr. came out and challenged him to a match for the next Royal Quest show, which is fair enough. Uh, it'll be a really good match. I can't wait for it. But Osprey, then Zack leaves and Osprey gets on the mic and cuts what felt like a show-closing promo. Like I fell for it as well. There were, no one was naive in that building that night. There were rumblings throughout the card. People going, well, Jericho could show up and beat up Osprey after the main event because he's done it before. And it's almost become like a trope of Jericho's, hasn't it? And, and then there was like, it started off with people going, no, he wouldn't. No. And then, and then, like, as the card went on, it was like, oh, he might, though. And then when Osprey starts cutting this promo, everyone's like, mm, maybe not. Because it was a really personal promo. And it was about Osprey saying how his life's changed. He's recently become a stepfather. Like, he stepped into the role of being a stepdad. And he's all very um, family-orientated now. He's settled down. And he's just... He sounded really happy and at peace with himself. And it was a lovely promo... It didn't feel like it was for the cameras. It felt like it, it could well have been like a dark segment after the show. Um, and I was like, ah, oh, damn it. <laughs> Especially when Zach came out and challenged him, I thought, well, that's the show closing angle. And I thought, oh, it's a lovely promo and everything, and that's great. And it's it's so near Osprey's hometown. He's obviously having a great time, but I wish Jericho had showed up. And then Jericho showed up. <laughs> like, you just saw this masked luchador head bobbing through the like the crowd on one side of the ring to get to the guardrail. And obviously it was Jericho. Um, which was, even though everybody knew from the moment they saw this masked figure, everybody was like, well, that's Chris Jericho. It was still amazing the moment where he pulls the mask off and it's actually him in the flesh. Like, what a moment. And from to do it at a comparatively smaller promotion, obviously, because Jericho is like WWE guy, AW guy, you know, even before that, WCW He's one of the most famous wrestlers in the world. And it's just surreal to see him in a smaller venue. It's brilliant. Um, it wasn't a small venue by any stretch of the imagination. I'm not saying that, but like a smaller venue for Chris Jericho. And it's just fantastic. <laughs> like it was a great moment. Um, and set up the following night's match very well as well. Um, but as I say, that was that was a great match. But I think I did prefer the uh, the Ishii Jacobs one. The third match I wanted to mention concerns Zack Sabre Jr., who uh, I talked about just before because at the end of the show, he came out and challenged Osprey before the Jericho attack. Um, he had a match earlier in the night against Ricky Knight Jr., a member of the infamous uh, Knight family out of Norwich, who are kind of like one of the more famous British wrestling families out there. Obviously, the, the most famous member of that family is Soraya uh, or Paige in WWE. Ricky Knight Jr. is like a younger member of the family. I'm not exactly certain on the family tree or like who his dad is or whatever, but I'll tell you what is certain. He's very good. Um, watching this, this is the first time I, I think I've seen him wrestle before, but this was the first time in person. RKJ, he sometimes goes by as well, like his initials. He is a real all-rounder of a wrestler. He can do it all. This was Zack Sabre Jr., so obviously it was quite a technical match. He can do all the technical stuff. He can do high-risk things. He can brawl. He can... He can do it all. Like, that's the first thing that comes to my mind. If someone said, what, can you describe to me what kind of wrestler Ricky Knight Jr. is? I'd say an all-rounder because he can just do it. And and in, in having all those skills at his disposal, he can put on a great main event style match. Now, this, this match wasn't the main event of the show, but it could have been the main event of a show. Uh, that's how good it was. Um, it's instantly made me a fan of Ricky Knight Jr. Zack Sabre Jr. is on form. I'm really enjoying his TV title reign, which goes on because of its 15-minute time limit. Um, you know, sometimes Zack Sabre Jr. in the past has had these, like, epic long matches in New Japan. And I honestly, 
and I hope this isn't like too much of a knock on him, but I prefer a slightly more urgent Zack Sabre Jr. in these shortened matches. I, I think that this was a really good one. I've just, I just got distracted there because I was thinking to myself, maybe I should have mentioned him more on this very series. Maybe, maybe I should have paid more attention, but I, I think he's had really, he's probably been one of the more underrated parts of 2023. I'll say that. Um, this was a great match though. And I saw this one so that I'm happy that I did. Uh, and I'm happy that I got to see it live. And and to be fair, I'm happy that I got to see this whole show live. It was a wonderful night. Um, and then All In followed it. It was an exhausting weekend, man, but a brilliant one. Especially if you like good wrestling, which I do. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Champion Rollins moves out of harm's way. Pedigree to battle. Cover and exhausted Rollins couldn't put him away. We have company. Mr. Money in the Bank, Damian Priest, heading his, his way to the ring in the briefcase of contract. Priest can cash in at any time for a championship opportunity. Allen from behind, shoulders down. Rollins kicks out. Went for the stomp. Now with Balor up on his shoulders, been able to slip underneath. Rollins, though, stacks him up, hooks the legs, two count, kick out, and a right hand. Oh, no. Oh, no. Pedigree by Balor. Balor's going to win the championship. Look at the leg. Rollins stays alive. So it feels ages ago now, because it was at the start of August, obviously. And we're now, like, into September, now I'm talking about this. Uh, but we're going to talk about SummerSlam, which is the first Triple H Big Four show where I was like, uh, I don't know, <laughs> you know? Like, it wasn't a bad show, but it wasn't one of Triple H's best ones, I don't think. And I, I think most people would agree with me there. Um, but there was one match that I thought was the unquestionable highlight of the night, and that was Seth Rollins versus Finn Balor. They'd done a tremendous job in the build-up with the feud, making it feel very real, very personal, uh, and very hateful as well. Um, uh, and building off their their previous SummerSlam encounter for the then very new, I think it was the to, desert, to decide the inaugural um, Universal Champion, wasn't it? Uh, Balor won back then, but obviously got injured and had to vacate the belt. So they played off that really well going into it. Obviously, now the roles are reversed, though. Balor's the, the heel and Rollins is the baby face. But even though he's a face, Rollins is still a bit of a bastard, isn't he? 
and he, he had that um the the like the pain on his no wait it was Bala who had the seven on his shoulder wasn't it oh well Rollins was a dick in the build up to this one despite being the face because he's taunting Bala about this time when he injured him and and cut short his title reign and then obviously they went to the buckle bomb spot in the match I thought that was very good. And it was just one of those matches where, like, you go into a card thinking, what's going to be the best match on this show? And then you see them standing in the ring together, Seth Rollins and Finn Balor, and you think, well, obviously this one's going to be the best match because they're just such, you know, great talents. I'm just looking at the rest of the card here and trying to work out why the show kind of underwhelmed me a bit. Yeah, Rollins versus Balor was definitely the best match, wasn't it? It was epic. It was a great match. Um, I'll go through the other ones. Logan, right, Logan Paul and Ricochet, their match... If that had been Logan Paul's first ever wrestling match, people would have been losing their minds. It's probably Logan's most complex performance to date. And despite that, because we're now used to him, it didn't feel as impressive, which is a shame because, you know, him and Ricochet put on a really good match. Um, Cody and Brock, a lot of people really liked it. I liked it, but I didn't really like it. Um, it was obviously the story of Cody being resilient, fighting back, Brock knocking him out the ring, Cody beating multiple countouts. It was okay for what it was. Fair enough. Uh, LA Knight, oh, that was the Slim Jim Battle Royal, never mind. Um, what else do we have? Baszler and Rousey's, oh, I felt bad for them because the match stipulation just didn't help them. And if that is Ronda's last match, this MMA rules fight thing, that's a shame for Ronda if that is her last match. Um, Gunter and Drew, I thought was going to be way better than it was. It was still a great match, but I thought it was going to be really, really great. I thought it was going to be one of my matches of the month. And unfortunately, I don't think it was. Um, maybe they'll get another shot somewhere down the line. Bianca, Asuka, and Charlotte, I didn't particularly enjoy, but um, I did enjoy the fact that Sky cashed in afterwards, so that's good. And the main event, well, everyone's talked about the main event, the tribal combat match. Roman and Jay, which at the time of recording, we've only just found out a couple of days ago that Jay's now uh, a Raw superstar, which does that mean that he's just been shuffled away from the feud then, like the Bloodline storyline? He's just lost, and that's it. Jimmy turned on him, cost him it, and now Jay's gone off to the other brand. I think that sucks. <laughs> I've really lost a lot of enthusiasm for the Bloodline storyline. There was a hiccup when they beat Cody, or when Roman beat Cody in the main event of WrestleMania, obviously, which I've talked about at length before on this series. Check out the WrestleMania week edition of Matches of the Month. Just type in Cultaholic Matches of the Month WrestleMania. Yeah, I got back on track with it. I was like, no, I'm buying back into this Bloodline stuff. And then the SummerSlam main event has kind of derailed it. So yeah, coming out of SummerSlam, I liked Rollins versus Balor. But not a lot else. Don't worry, though, because I did enjoy a couple of other WWE matches on TV. Oh! Superplexed by Edge, and the rated R superstar isn't done yet. The execution is that it? Oh, this is going to end Edge once and for all. White noise. Sheamus perhaps looking for a little insurance. Cut the cross. Spear! Spear by Edge! Both men are gonna go for Brian! Edge to get the victory in Toronto! Here is your winner, the Rated R Superstar Edge! First one I want to talk about, Edge versus Sheamus on SmackDown. Right, what's happened here then? <laughs> Why has Edge suddenly left WWE, by the way? Is that is this really his last ever match? Because it felt, in one sense, anticlimactic because it was just on TV and it was just like a win for Edge, hooray. But on the other hand, I watched it back and I was like, no, that that could that does feel a bit like his last ever match because it was in Toronto. His family were there in the front row. It's all very emotional and happy. And if Edge did decide to call it a day, could it get any better than that for him? You know, that's probably a pretty damn good last ever match. Similar to what CM Punk's probably thinking after Wembley, you know? Um, but given each guy's personal circumstances, Punk, you know, against his, one of his greatest foes in this massive event, like massive arena, massive stadium, excuse me, massive event as well. That's probably a good way to go out if he has to. If Edge has to go out, hometown, against Sheamus, someone he's talked about, how, how he greatly respects him in front of his family, maybe he does just want to hang it up on that. I couldn't blame him if he decided to. I thought it was a good match. Sheamus played his role really well. Not a heel, but kind of like a spoiler, trying to spoil the party in Toronto. Uh, I thought the finishing stretch was very cool as well. And I liked the finish because it was deceptively quite simple. Uh, Edge kicking out of the bro kick, Sheamus kicking out of the spear, but then Edge just 
hitting a second spear and getting the win. Usually when a wrestler hits a finisher and it gets kicked out of, you see them go like, no, that didn't put them away. What am I going to do now? And then they try something really new or different or like an avalanche version of the move or, and often it goes wrong and it costs them the match. Well, here, Edge just went, well, I could just hit the same finisher again, double damage. I'm like, yes, very smart. He really is the ultimate opportunist. <laughs> I, I have a little theory as well that, that Edge maybe called that on the fly. Like maybe he was meant to beat him with one spear. Because you see him after he's made that pinfall, like you see him talk to Sheamus as he's going down to make that pinfall. And it's just speculation. But I imagine maybe he went like kick out of this one and then gives him a second one just to give Sheamus a bit of a rub. You know, I don't know. That's complete guesswork on my part, but it would be cool if it was true. And I hope it is. Um, the other WWE TV match I enjoyed from the month of August was Gunter versus Chad Gable. Yes, it ended by countout, and yes, Chad celebrated it, which drew a lot of Lex Luger comparisons, like, oh, you didn't even win the title. Having, you know, seen that it'll lead to a, a rematch, which I haven't actually, which we haven't seen yet at the time of recording this video, this audio podcast, excuse me. I think it was worth it. I enjoyed the countout finish for what it was. I thought it was an excellent TV match. And I think, I think it was still excellent, even though they both held a lot back here for the rematch. I wouldn't be surprised if the rematch... Oh, this could be a bold prediction, but I wouldn't be surprised if the rematch ends up being in my top 10 matches of the year. Because, And the reason that I've made such a bold claim there is because you can see the chemistry is so there between them. It's kind of frightening what they could do if they were given enough time. I wish it was on a pay-per-view. Well, I think it's on tomorrow's Raw, but I wish it was on a pay-per-view. Um, I hope it's just the start of a... 20 match series <laughs> um so yes i enjoyed edge versus sheamus i enjoyed gable versus gunter um and i enjoyed that uh title match at SummerSlam between rollins and balor but on the whole i don't think it was really wwe's month in the spotlight i think that belonged to aw and another little promotion you may have heard of by the name of new japan pro wrestling let's go there right now New Japan is to talk about the uh, the G1 Climax, which wrapped up in August. I think we should probably start off talking about the two semifinals, one of which was a match of the month and one of which was uh, sadly not. So the first semifinal I want to talk about was Will Ospreay versus Tetsuya Naito, which, is, which, was, which was an amazing match, which unfortunately for me got a little bit tainted towards the end by a very scary um, miscommunication, which made it one of those matches that reminds you how dangerous wrestling can be. This would have been probably a top 10 match of the year, if not for that final stretch. Now, I've seen a lot of people who are still counting it as one of their top 10 matches of the year and have managed to ignore this, like, this thing, that this hiccup towards the end. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to, and it, it did impact my enjoyment of the match because basically what happens is Osprey accidentally knocks Naito silly with a kick towards the end during the finishing stretch, and you see Naito is, like, dazed, He's out of it for a bit. Manages somehow to finish the match. And the scary thing is he had to win the match. So like Osprey's probably thinking, oh, sh oh no. <laughs> um, yeah, so that was that was scary to watch. And also mechanically, it slowed the match right down. You see Osprey just blatantly talking to Naito, saying, hit me with a Destino. Um, so that did impact my enjoyment of it, you know? A lot of people still loved it. I know Melter gave it like, what, six stars or something? I couldn't think of it that highly, unfortunately. Which is a shame, because they're both great and I'm a big fan of both men. Um, I don't even, I don't, I'm not saying like, I don't think it's a case of Osprey being careless either. And I can legit say, you know, I can legit say this time that I'm speaking from experience because oh, it's become a joke that I mention this all the time, but I did get super kicked by Will Osprey, and I'll, I'll just explain now. I barely felt a thing. Um, I think this, in this case with Naito, they've both started the sequence with their back to each other. Then they've wheeled around. Osprey's thrown the kick. Naito 
instead of standing still and taking the kick, has moved towards Osprey, so he's moved into it, shortening the range of the the kick, and and the impact just gets him full in the face. Um, when I took the super kick, obviously I'm not a wrestler. I wasn't in the middle of a wrestling exchange with Osprey. I was standing still, and the kick was as designed because I wasn't moving towards him, and it, it just felt like a push, like it just pushed me on the jaw lightly. Uh, and I fell over. <laughs> and it was it was it was easy money. Oh, a little tidbit here actually. Obviously, I'm lying on the canvas, pretending to be knocked out, right? And the faces have to run in and save the day. And Drew McIntyre, Drew Galloway, slides in the ring to save the day and need me in the head. <laughs> like I was on the canvas and just felt clonk. I was like, what the fuck? Um, so that was a little bonus there. The, the super kick didn't hurt, but Drew sliding in the ring did catch me slightly on the side of the head. Not that not I'm blaming Drew, God. I was probably lying directly in front of where he needed to slide in. Um, great memories. Um, but yes, no, this was, oh God, just want to clarify there, but I wasn't hurt by it. It was just a little whack around the head, but it was a funny moment to look back on. Um, anyway, Osprey Naito, still a really good match. I was surprised to see Naito get this far in the tournament, let alone win it, which he did go on to do. The most interesting thing that's happened to him this year so far is probably Sonata leaving his stable, LIJ, uh, and also, I guess, resting at Forbidden Door as well in AW. Naito really seems to have slowed down this year, but this match played into that and our expectations of Naito, with Osprey clearly being the more dominant wrestler. And it made Naito's eventual win all the more effective, in my opinion. Although after he, you know, got knocked silly, that's where, as good as it was, I can't include it in my very top matches of 2023, unfortunately. But no, I still thought, that aside, it was a wonderful match, which I'd recommend checking out. I just, I feel so bad for them both that that, that happened towards the end. It's worth mentioning, just by contrast, the other semi-final, which was a very different type of match. Kazuchika Okada versus Evil in the other semi-final, which was very sports entertaining. I tried to watch it with an open mind because, you know, we all like to get very high and mighty and say this isn't what we want from our New Japan G1 Climax matches. But if you look at the actual Japanese crowd and their reaction, they were very invested in it. So, you know, we can be snobs about match quality and stuff, but if it made those fans feel something, who are we to judge? No, I'm going to judge it. Um, it was too much interference and ref bumpage for me, unfortunately. That's just the way I saw it, sadly. It got in the way of what could have been a good match. I don't mind, though, New Japan trying to incorporate different types, different styles of matches into their shows, and this was a bit more Western, a bit more sports entertaining. But I think ever since Evil turned heel, his brand of heelishness, his brand of cheating in matches has never really done it for me. I just don't think it makes him a particularly compelling bad guy at all. Still, Okada won, which the crowd really loved. And I guess from a wrestler's point of view, I imagine they much preferred, or this was like an easier night at work, like having this sort of match as opposed to Osprey versus Naito in the other semifinal, which was like a mile a minute. So yeah, I I can see why they did it. I'll mention the final as well, which was Okada who won, who beat Evil versus Naito who somehow beat Osprey. Uh, The final was a real slow, punishing epic. And you have both guys targeting each other's necks. Um, Okada was kind of in the heel role, even though he's like a face, obviously. But Naito's just got this connection with the crowd. So Okada had to be the heel in this one wisely. Um, but they were, you know, n- essentially they're both baby faces in this match. This isn't my favorite type of match, personally, where you just got two guys trying to destroy each other and break each other down gruelingly. Um, I prefer like kind of bursts of action and bursts of intensity and then recuperation and stuff. This was kind of just like a steady pace of just bang, 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 bang. And that's fine. You know, as high risk as a spot can look or as bad on the neck as a spot can look, that's not really what I particularly look for in my wrestling matches. If it's part of a match I enjoy, fine. But if it's the crux of a match, I'm like, "Eh, maybe mix things up a little bit. But it was still a good match, even though it's not my favorite type of match. It was a really good example of that style. Um... It wasn't, it wasn't like the best Naito match ever as well, but who could blame him? Because like just the night before, you know, he'd been knocked out in the middle of a match essentially. So a brave effort from both men, especially Naito, who got the win. And again, the crowd were absolutely on fire for it, mainly because it's Naito and they love him. And obviously Okada's an excellent favorite in a match going up against an underdog. Everyone's kind of the underdog against Okada. So despite it not being my kind of my geared towards my tastes it was still a phenomenal wrestling match there's just one more g1 climax match i want to mention uh, before we move on which oh my god i've just remember what it is 
It was earlier on in the tournament, but it was in August, so it still counts for this episode of Matches of the Month. And this was probably my favorite match of the entire G1 Climax this year. It's <laughs> Unfortunately, it's Will Ospreay again. He's really dominating this month's matches. Will Ospreay versus El Fantasmo, ELP. Um, this was an excellent matchup. They're both really well matched. It's kind of like Osprey wrestling himself or the, the previous version of himself, the high flyer. And you had ELP throwing everything at Osprey and Osprey having to th- having no choice but to throw everything back at him to eventually put him away. El Fantasma is one of the most effortlessly graceful wrestlers I've ever seen. He's not the craziest high flyer in terms of what he can do, although he can do some crazy stuff. But there's guys out there who can do the most crazy stuff. El Fantasma can do certainly some crazy stuff. But his real strength, I think, is the grace and the effortless with which effortless, effortlessness, excuse me, with which he performs every single move in his arsenal. Every single high flying movie does. He does a, a rope walk moonsault to the outside, where I've just said he can't do that much crazy stuff. Of course he can do loads of crazy stuff. He tight ropes from the corner to the middle of the of the rope and then turns around and moonsaults backwards off to the outside. Now there are people who can do that. There are luchadors who can do that. But I would rather watch El Fantasmo do that spot than any other wrestler I can think of in the world because he does it with such... He's got like a beautiful arc on the moonsault and everything. He just... Of all the wrestlers out there I can think of, if you told me which one of these can actually fly, I'd be like, I reckon El Fantasmo's probably got the power of flight. So this match... <laughs> hopefully that sums up why this match was so good. El Fantasmo's a babyface at the minute, which I find unusual. I first got to know him as a babyface and I was like, what a cool guy. But then when he turned heel, I was like, what a dick, what an annoying guy. And now I'm having to try and get used to him as a face again, so it's odd. He can do both really well. And he can, as I said, potentially fly like an actual bird. Six hours later. Right, this is the last bit of uh, Desert Island Crafts. Uh, Desert Island Crafts, fucking hell. Um, of Matches of the Month. That's the one. That's my show. <laughs> Okay. A few moments later. And we're back. Um, apologies if I sound different or, or tired or even more loud to compensate for the tiredness. Um, while I've only been gone for a few seconds to you, dear listener, I've actually been gone for several hours because All Out started and I had to do what happened at and be taking notes for the show and everything. Um, so now it's, oh, it's 4.56 a.m. <laughs> and I'm finishing this little podcast episode where it's just a few matches from all around the world that um, didn't quite fit into one of the categories or one of the shows I've talked about so far. By the way, just well, I've just watched All Out. Um, spoiler alert, next month's episode of this very podcast is going to feature multiple matches from All Out. What a show that was. I absolutely loved it. Right, uh, speaking of AW, the first match I want to talk about in the miscellaneous section is the AW parking lot fight between uh, the best friends and the Blackpool Combat Club. Let's have a look at what this idiot did in America. Thankfully, that man was plastic. <laughs> you can stop giggling or I'll take down your particulars. This kind of acted as a, a, like a prelude to the stadium stampede match at All In. And I can see why some people absolutely loved it. I thought it was very good, very effective. I just think there were a lot of matches this month that did that sort of um, build-up sort of thing a bit better, maybe. I don't know. Well, no, maybe not the build-up to the match, but I just... It was a highly stylized kind of match, wasn't it? It felt very cinematic, almost. Um, And I just think there were matches this month, more traditional wrestling matches that I preferred. Not to say I didn't like it. If I had to compare it to any other match, it would probably be the other Best Friends parking lot brawl against Santana and Ortiz, but I did... Just about prefer that one. Um, This one was still good. It made the Blackpool Combat Club look like real nasty bad guys. And then when you couple that with the fact that it was the best friends who had the last laugh in the Stadium Stampede match, then, you know, I think it does become effective. It was, I thought it was worth a mention on matches of the month, even if it wasn't one of my very best matches of said month. Um, Heading over now to Stardom. Uh, they had an IWGP women's title match, the champion Mayu Iwatani defending against Utami Hayashishta. This is a big clash. It's kind of the two, it's kind of two of the very, very top names in stardom, like kind of the present versus the, well, is it the present versus the future? Not really. They're both kind of the present, aren't they? Utami Hayashishta has already been the top champion in stardom before this belt came along. Uh, and Mayu Iwatani has been a top name in stardom for many years now. I'll, I'll bill it as like, 
let's say Mayu is the 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 early present versus the latter present in Utami Hayashishta. My God, that makes no sense. Anyway, they had a good match. Um, I think uh, it lost its way very slightly towards uh, at points throughout the match, but then the finish totally saved the day and secured it a mention on this podcast. Uh, Mayu Utani kind of hitting a poison rana off the top sort of thing. And that wasn't all. She seamlessly like followed it up into a pinfall uh, on Utama Hayashishta. So Mayu Utani retaining the IWGP Women's Championship in a match that can only have you know raised the prestige of that belt. Um, so yeah, that, I thought that was worth a mention. That was at the show Stardom X Stardom Osaka Summer Team. Um, however, I don't think it was my favorite Joshi match of the month. That would probably go to a match in the promotion Seedling uh, between Arisa Nakajima, the top champion in Seedling, the Beyond the Sea champion, as they call it, against uh, kind of the returning hero to the Joshi scene from WWE, an unsuccessful run in WWE where she was never given a fair chance, really. Talking about Sari, or Saray, as they rechristened her in WWE. She's back to Sari now. Um, has had a few banger matches already since her return to the Japanese scene. Uh, but this might be the best one I've seen so far. A really hate-filled match between the two, by the way. Uh, this match featured some of the most brutal slaps to the face I've ever seen in a wrestling match. Not because when a wrestler, when you, when wrestlers slap each other, typically you'll see like, yeah, they catch a bit of the face, but it's normally aimed at the side of the neck. Whereas these two, Nakajima and Sari, were just fully slapping each other in the face, on the side of the face. Especially the ones from Sari. Oh my god. I did not realize she had such a vicious slap to the face on her. It was really scary. Um, the crowd were really behind her as well. She's like the returning hero from the WWE scene back to Japan. Um, but then you feel kind of bad for Nakajima, don't you? Because she's the one who's been there this whole time. I believe this was her third reign with the Beyond the Sea Championship. She's been a crucial figure in seedling since the promotion's very start in kind of the mid to late 2010s. I think it was probably like 2016, 17 when the promotion was established. So... Yeah, it's it's hard to know who to root for here, but I honestly wish I understood the context of the match even more because is that it or was there more to it? It felt even more deeply personal than kind of the 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 regular the regular established name in the promotion versus the one who has just come back from abroad. So maybe there was more. Please do let me know. Tweet me at Jack the Jobber if you know the background of this feud. I tried to have a Google, but. All I could find was people going, this match is awesome, you should check it out. So I did, and to be fair, I'm glad I did. And we'll stick in Japan as well. I thought it was worth mentioning the uh, the climax of Noah's tournament that's been going on recently, the N1 Victory Tournament. Um, the final, I believe, will have happened before this podcast goes out, but it hasn't happened yet at the time of recording. I think it's set to happen tomorrow, as, I, as I'm talking now. Um, so you may well know who's won this final, but I don't. I just know who made it to the final. So we'll talk about the, the both kind of unofficial semifinals or the block deciders, I suppose. One of the matches was Keno, who's featured several times on this podcast this year, versus Jake Lee, who hasn't, which is weird because Jake Lee is the current champion of Noah. I've never understood. I feel like there's more to Jake Lee that I don't understand because I always see him mentioned and when he used to, he used to be in All Japan, by the way, before moving over to Noah. And... Um, yeah, he seemed to attract a lot of criticism. He'd like, he'd like win the belt in old Japan and people would go, ugh, Jake Lee's the champion. And I didn't get it. But now I think I get it because I think he was possibly pushed as like, he got the Roman Reigns push or the John Cena push. Like, this is your new hero. And I think people might have been reluctant to accept that. So now, in Noah, as their champion, he's a heel. And that seems to suit him more, at least for now, at this stage in his career. Keno is the resident punchy kicky dude. Um, as we know. And um, yeah, I, th I think this was an interesting matchup because Keno Keno's like a Noah favorite. Jake Lee is still quite new to Noah despite being the champion. I, I had a look. He won this title about three months after his debut. That's crazy. Um, that reign's still active now, although it doesn't really feel like he's the champion, at least in, in, my, con in my viewing context of Noah because, I mean, I only catch matches here and there when I hear that there's a really good one and usually it's involving people who aren't Jake Lee people like Nakajima or Kaido Kiyomiya the man that Jake Lee beat for the title or Kento Miyahara who's from all Japan but had that match against 
uh, Nakajima last month, which is one of my top 10 matches of the year so far. Then people started really talking about this match, this block decider between Keno and Jake Lee as like a match of the year candidate. Now, I think it was a very good match, but maybe not the match of the year contender that I've seen people tout it as. One thing going for it, though, was the live crowd who really came alive down the stretch. I thought it felt a little bit stop-start, which Keno matches can, often in a good way, because he like he cuts his opponent's momentum off in a not very pro-wrestler way, like in a martial artist kind of way, with just an abrupt head kick or something like that. But here, I don't know if it quite worked. This didn't help, by the way, that I watched this match shortly after the, the Sari match from before, which did feel very intense. So maybe that's why I found this one to be lacking a little bit. The, the other block decider I did prefer to this one, which was Go Shiyazaki, another massive name in Noah, um, versus Manabu Sawyer. Not someone I was too familiar with in Noah. Apparently he's a bit further down the card, but had his chance here to progress to the final of this tournament against Go Shiyazaki. And uh, I like the fact that because perhaps he was the underdog on paper, Sawyer was just going for the win quickly. Like, he charged across the ring and took down Go Shiyazaki, immediately tried for a pinfall. The added context around that is that both men had already wrestled once in the night, because this is like the sudden death decider um, after they both finished equal on points. So uh, I really like that element of it. I like the fact that even though he's the underdog, Sawyer's the bigger, more powerful dude. So he can just batter Shiyazaki, and Shiyazaki starts to fight from underneath and, you know, get the crowd behind him. Um, love the storytelling there. The the one weird thing was to, to kind of counteract Sawyer's devastating chops. Shiyazaki's often working the arm, but then Sawyer was just chopping him anyway. So that was one bit that I I didn't quite get on board with. Um, it was almost like he just forgot. I hope it was. I hope there was more to it. Like he's fighting through the pain. But if that was the case, it certainly wasn't really conveyed enough to me. Like he wasn't struggling against anything. He was just selling the hand for a bit. But then after a bit, he was like, oh, I'll just chop you instead with the same hand. So that was a bit strange. I still enjoyed it for the most part. There was a bit of a weird finish, and I hope Sawyer's okay. I think, if I remember rightly, it came off like a massive lariat or a clothesline, the finish. And the ref seemed to be having a bit of a chat with both guys before the final pinfall. So I don't know if he just decided to call the match there or whether there was some other information being relayed. Because even though it took me by surprise, the finish of the match it wouldn't have immediately led me to think anything was wrong. I just thought, oh, it's a bit of a cool, abrupt finish, and sometimes that can really work. And I thought it would have worked here if I hadn't noticed the ref having a little, yeah, having a little bit of a chat, as I say. Otherwise, though, I, I like the match. Shizaki versus Sawyer. Check that out. Uh, the one that's been better rated online currently is the Jake Lee Keno match, which wasn't quite my speed, but it could well be yours because people have really been raving about it. So good job, both of those guys as well, even if it wasn't quite for me. Without any further ado, let's briefly move on, or swiftly move on, I should say. I'm losing my... Guys, I'm, I'm quite tired, right? Uh, let's swiftly move on, and I'll recap my top 10 matches of August. And then after that, I'll recap my top 10 matches of 2023 so far. Here we go. So my August top 10. At number 10, we've got the G1 Climax Final, Kazuchika Okada versus Tetsuya Naito. Number 9, the G1 Climax Semi-Final, Tetsuya Naito versus Will Ospreay. There's a lot of Ospreay on this top 10. Number 8, that match from Seedling that I just talked about, Arisa Nakajima versus Sari. Number 7, Zack Sabre Jr. versus Ricky Knight Jr. at Rev Pro's anniversary show. Number 6, the main event of that Rev Pro show, Will Ospreay versus Shingo Takagi. Uh, Jericho attacked Will after that match, of course. Number 5, the opening match of the main portion of All In at Wembley Stadium, CM Punk versus Samoa Joe. Number 4, uh, probably my favourite match from the whole G1 Climax this year, Will Ospreay versus L Fantasmo. Number three, Wembley Stadium again, Will Ospreay versus Chris Jericho. Number two, Wembley Stadium again, MJF versus Adam Cole in the main event. And number one, uh, we're going back to Rev Pro for my match of the night and my match of August this year, Tomohiro Ishii versus Luke Jacobs. Uh, now on to my top 10 of the year overall. We'll see what, if anything, has cracked this top 10. Oh yes, there have been some new entrants. Uh, here we go. Number 10, WrestleMania, night one main event, the Usos versus Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens. Number nine, MJF versus Adam Cole. As I've just mentioned, the main event of All In. Number eight, stardom action as Suri takes on Suzu Suzuki. What a match that was. Number seven, we're going to AW again for FTR versus Bullet Club Gold, the second match of their feud, the two out of three falls one. Uh, number six, the match that I've just mentioned has cracked the top 
10. Uh, Tomohiro Ishii versus Luke Jacobs, one of two new entries. And the top five is as it was previously. Number five, the All Japan Tag Match from way back in January. Kento Mihara and Takuya Nomura versus Yuma Aoyagi and Naoya Nomura. Number four, that excellent Noah grudge match between Katsuhiko Nakajima and Kento Miyahara. Number three, Osprey versus Omega at Wrestle Kingdom. Number two, Osprey versus Omega at Forbidden Door. And number one, WrestleMania Night 2 IC title triple threat action, Gunter versus Sheamus versus Drew McIntyre. And there you have it. Thank you very much indeed for listening to this August edition of Matches of the Month. I'll be back for the September edition and presumably, as I've mentioned, I'll be talking quite a lot about AW All Out. What a show that's just been. But um, for now, look after yourselves out there. Um, uh, thank you once again to Tom Campbell for editing this series wonderfully, as he does. And leave any of your... Ma- Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. At recommendations in my mentions at Jack the Jobber on Twitter. Thanks once again, and I'll see you guys very soon. For all the wrestling headlines in just 10 minutes, search Cultaholic Wrestling News on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from.